let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word that speaks to us, Lord. And as we read from um, Paul's letter to the Romans today, I ask you would speak to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, um, sometimes things happen that kind of just, you know, for every different person, it seems like there's different things where you have a moment where you go, oh no. And, and for me, one of those moments happened last night. I wanted to share that real quick. Um, so at least for pastors, this is like one of our worst nightmares, something like this happening. Um, so I, I know for me and Mike and Chad, and, and really I think the process of preparing a sermon is a little bit different for all of us. Um, but for me, I like to write my sermon kind of earlier in the week and just kind of let it sit for a couple days. And then Saturday night, after we put the kids to bed, I like to just preach it out loud to myself, which sounds kind of weird. I even say stuff like, good morning, and stuff like that, and kind of like makes fun of me. Uh, but it just helps me feel comfortable, you know. And so last night, the kids were in bed. It's about 8 o'clock. And I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over my sermon. So I get it out, and I, I, just to make sure to be safe, I had emailed it to myself and put it on a flash drive that I took home. And so I, I opened the flash drive file, and normally um, my sermons, in case you ever wondered, are about six pages, single-spaced. Um, and today's was no exception. So when I opened it up, um, I preached through the first page, and when I got to the second page, I noticed um, there was only half a page there and nothing after that. And then at that moment is when my heart starts going, <laughs> like, what's happening? And so I thought, no, I, I must have just... You know, saved it wrong, I'll check the email. If I open it from the email, and the same thing. And so at that moment, I'm thinking, it's going to be the worst Sunday ever. You know, I ruined Christmas and the New Year. And, uh, and so I, I rushed up here to the church and, and thought, okay, well, I saved it to my desktop. I know it's got to be there. And so I opened it on my desktop and still a page and a half. I was like, oh, no. Um, and so, but some of you know, if you're familiar with Word, there's a little tab on the top you can click that says, like, recent documents. So I click that, and it turns out the title of my sermon was very originally um, Sermon for January 5th, 2014. And there was three different saved versions, um, and one of them was the right one. So it was a Christmas miracle, after all. <laughs> um, but last night, I was, as they, I was very stressed for a few minutes. Um, but anyways, that really has nothing to do with the message, but I just thought it was interesting. Um, so this week, I am preaching part two of a sermon. Part one I preached a year ago today. Um, so, and I didn't know it was a two-part that day. So anyways, uh, for, it seems like for the last several years, for some reason, I, I don't know, I just um, end up preaching this Sunday. And so um, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Romans chapter 12. Um, and we'll read from that later, but I want to give you a little time. I, I always get nervous, like, I don't know if you in Sunday school when you are growing up, if they did the Bible drills, you know, where they tell you the verse and you have to open it up and put it on your shoulder and the first person with the Bible up, like, gets to read it or something. Well, I, I think I have, like, post-traumatic stress disorder from that because my best friend growing up, his name was Matt, and he... He, like, always would beat me by, like, this much. And I didn't find out till years later. I'm, I'm still a little upset about this, as you can tell. Um, that he, they'd say, like, you know, open to Romans 12, verse 7, or whatever. And so I'd get open to 12 and look for 7 and find it and put it up. But Matt, he would just find 12 and then put it up here and then find the verse. And that's how he beat me. Ah. Anyways, 
So, take all the time you need. We're not going to read from it for a few minutes. Romans chapter 12. Um, I do have some notes. Maybe I should look at them. Um, So last week, I know that Mike touched briefly on uh, Romans chapter 12, um, but the bulk of his message was from John 12, talking about the woman who um, gave a generous, expensive gift of perfume to Jesus. And I hope that you took his challenge to think about in your own life um, where where you might give generously this year. And I know that um, giving generously um, at times, people will kind of think you're silly for it, you know? And I heard a story about a generous gift from someone this last week that someone was kind of questioning and thinking it was silly. And, um, and so I hope that um, you continue to think on that challenge if you haven't decided what to do with that yet. But um, as Mike said, um, Happy New Year. It is the future right now. Welcome to the future. And, uh, of course, when I was a kid, um, you know, that was kind of like I watched a lot of Flintstones and that didn't really help me with the future, but Jetsons and, and like, um, you know, Back to the Future 2, you guys remember those? Well, I was convinced that was going to be, well, that would have already happened, like in the year 2000. But so it, the future is always a little disappointing for me every year, you know. But um, this year, uh, I guess last year on this Sunday, I said, you know, what do you anticipate happening in the next year? And, and how are you going to, um, you know, how is that going to affect your living for Jesus? And as I look over the last year, um, there's a lot of things that were not what I expected. Um, the Seahawks are doing well this year. Who would have, you know, that's exciting for me. Um, this, this is the year. Every year I say that, but I never really believe it in my heart. But this year, a little bit I do. Um, but, and there's, there's some bad stuff this year too. Some really hard stuff, some loss of friends. And um, it's, it was just a different year for me. And, and a lot of you I know. And uh, I think that this year, as we look ahead to this coming year, um, I want you to start to think about um, if you knew what was going to happen in this coming year, which you don't and I don't, but if you knew, how would that change how that you would live this year? How would that change um, how you would honor God and what he's called you to as a follower of him? Or if you're not a Christian yet, would that change that for you if you knew what was going to happen in the next year, you think? And what would you do to maybe prepare yourself um, for what lies ahead, good and bad? And I know that there are, um, I think especially in the hard realm, there's things that it feels like we can never be prepared for, but we can be in a place in our relationship with God where we can lean on him in those times. Um, So we're going to spend a little more time on that later in the service, but I want you to begin to ruminate on that and think on that. Ruminate, that's a good word. I'll try and use that again. But just begin to think on that, of how would that affect the way that you live. Um, So I want to revisit a little bit about what we talked out of Romans 12 last year. And that was, um, if you look at Romans 12, it is a call for us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And it's talking about the body of Christ. And really how, um, as we make our kind of, what I said last year was, as you make your New Year's resolutions, um, to think about not just your body and self, but the body of Christ, the larger body, which is us. Like Mike said, I like that saying, you know, thank the body for, thank the church for coming to the building. And that's, that's kind of what we're talking about, that last year I challenged you to make a resolution that would be good for the whole body of Christ, and not just kind of the typical, you know, drop 10 pounds or manage your money or call your mother-in-law every Sunday evening or, or whatever um, you would resolve to do. 
Um, and I know that some of you did that, which is kind of exciting that you made a good resolution. And, um, or if you're like me, you made a good resolution and stuck with it for a while and then kind of just forgot about it. Um, so if that's you, first, just challenge you to re-up some of those resolutions and spiritual commitments you've made in the past, whether it was you know, this Sunday a year ago or just other spiritual commitments you've made in the past. And this is a good time as you're making resolutions or whatever for the year to think about what have I committed to in my spiritual life and how's that going to affect what I do this year? And, and if I've committed to something and I'm not living it out, maybe it's about time I started. Um, so the book of Romans, as I said, it, it offers a lot of pretty cool insights on this topic. And just a little reminder for you, um, or maybe info for the first time if you haven't studied it much, but the book of Romans, um, Paul was writing a letter to the church in Rome. And this was written in the year 57 AD, so this is about 20 years after Jesus has ascended into heaven and the church has kind of started as we know it. Like Pentecost happened and the church started. And what's kind of exciting about the church in Rome is how it got started. And the church in Rome was started um, really from Pentecost. There were um, Jews in Jerusalem for Pentecost and when that happened and they you know, started following Jesus, then after Pentecost, after you know, all the meeting in Jerusalem, everyone went home and those Jews went back to Rome is where they were from. And they were so excited about what they had experienced in Jerusalem that they couldn't help but tell everyone about it. And that's how the church grew. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm a dry throat. But that is pretty cool, I think, church growth model. That you have this experience with God, and that's really what we hope that all of us have. That we have, when we accept Jesus or whatever it is, this moment with Jesus, we have this awesome encounter with him, and that motivates, man, I want to tell everyone about how great this is. And so even the church in Rome, they must have had an awesome testimony because you think about it, the Roman church was made up a lot of Jews, but a lot of Gentiles too, of Roman citizens. And it's kind of, for them, that would have been a very, I think, interesting thing that Rome had conquered Israel, had conquered the Jews, and yet this person that they are now following in Jesus was like one of the conquered peoples who I'm sure that they saw the Jews as just these lowly kick on the side of the road kind of people they had conquered, and yet now they were following their Messiah, who was a Jew, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, notes. Why do I even write them? Uh, well, as we think about our place in the body, or the body of Christ, and we're going to break this down a little bit, um, I think sometimes we start to think that our place in the body maybe doesn't matter, and that, you know, that, you know, someone else matters more. Like, Janine answers the phone and really does all the work around here. So maybe she matters more, you know? Um, don't tell Chad I said that. We work really hard, too. Um, but maybe you start to think, well, other people matter more. But I want to remind you that every part in the body matters. Um, I did have my adenoids taken out when I was a kid. Do they do anything? I don't know. But maybe, I, I think every part of the body matters. And so as we read Romans chapter 12, I want you to start to identify it, and there's like a list of strengths, kind of, and like gifts that God's given the church. Maybe start to think about what are the places that you would resonate with and make sense to you. So let's read from Romans chapter 12, giving you plenty of time, although it's not a race. So let's read from verse 1 through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us, sorry, just as each one has a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And the next line isn't really in my message, but I love what it says. Love must be sincere. So as we think about our place in this body, and we talk about the body as in the church, and the church as in not the building, but the people who make it up. We sometimes call it the Catholic Church, or just means the universal church. Basically the people all around the world who make up the church. And sometimes it's kind of tempting to think of ourselves as kind of this attitude of just kind of me and Jesus. And, you know, you don't need anything else. You just need you and Jesus. And I've, I've heard that, you know, spoken about before, like, you know, from people just saying, well, I'm good with Jesus, but all the other Christians and church and all that kind of stuff, I don't need that, you know. Um, and I want to challenge you that, I mean, this makes it pretty clear to me at least that we belong to each other and that we, you know, need each other. Um, I know that even when it comes to sin, sometimes we start to think that our sin is isolated and our sin doesn't doesn't matter if it only affects me or if it's some sort of secret sin that it doesn't affect the body but the whole body is tied together <coughs> um, so I'm going to break this down a little bit kind of verse by verse for you so verse 1 if you'll remember just says therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy mercy I said Murphy the first time too that's awkward um, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God this is your spiritual act of worship so we know, like, in the Old Testament, it talked about how they need, people needed to off, offer animals as sacrifices and that kind of stuff. But even there, it was clear that the most important thing was the condition of the person's heart who was offering the sacrifice. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was able to talk with um, a young guy, uh, early 20s, who is, um, I loved what one person told me. They said, he's not a Christian yet, but he's becoming one. And so I, that was kind of cool. And I got to talk with him and um, just kind of explain what the Bible is about, and which is always fun to talk to someone who has, you know, no understanding of the Bible, just to say, look, this is what it's about. And in the Old Testament, um, you know, we talked about how there's it follows Israel and this this need for sacrifice that where there is sin, there has the wages of sin is death. But in the New Testament, that Jesus paid that price. And so for us, as we think about like what our response needs to be to that. It says, in view of God's mercy, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So because of his mercy, that's what we need to do, is offer ourselves back to him. And that this is a spiritual act of worship. Sometimes we talk about how, you know, maybe like a kind of churchy catchphrase is like living a lifestyle of worship. But we talk about how worship is more than just singing on Sunday morning. Um, but worship, according to this is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
That means then laying down our lives on a daily basis, laying down our desires, our finances, our resources, our time, our desires. And that's what real worship is. That's, that's pretty cool, I think. Um, verse 2 again says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, after the transformation, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Now, I have to be a little careful how I talk about this verse because I feel like this verse at times has been a little abused. That by well-meaning intentioned people, that sometimes Christianity can become a list of things not to do. And I think that this, it says not to conform to the patterns of this world any longer. And a lot of sometimes, as Christians, we say, okay, that's what the world's doing, so I'm not going to do all these things and make yourself a nice list. And when you don't do those things... You can feel pretty good about yourself. But I would say that it is highly possible to avoid all of the bad things like don't, what did my mom tell me? Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. Anyone else hear that? Um, but to avoid the bad things, but to still have a proud heart, be covetous, be envious and stubborn and arrogant, and those things are still there. And I think what's the most important thing here is to not just make a list of things not to do, but to focus on Christ transforming our heart. And when that transformation takes place is when we are able to say, look, I have a relationship with God, and then we can know what his will is for us, and we don't have to be reliant on the list of extra rules, right? Um, In verse 3 it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now certainly, um, healthy self-esteem is a very good thing. Um, but I think probably in our culture, um, I'd say more often than not, we lean a little towards narcissism and just thinking ourselves are great all the time and everything, and everything's about me and selfies and everyone look at me. Um, but... <laughs> Selfie, if you don't know, it's a picture of yourself. Anyways, um, I think the key, though, to being able to actually take an honest, accurate self-assessment is knowing the basis of our self-worth, which is our identity in Christ. And if we evaluate ourselves based on the world standards of success and how the world gauges versus on money and possessions and who you know and all that kind of stuff, I think that our self-worth becomes pretty skewed and cause us to miss the true value that we have in God's eyes. But that value isn't because of any great thing that we've done, but it's because of our identity in the Christ. In Christ. Verses 4 and 5, just as each one of us is a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And that is really important to this message this morning, and I mean, it's probably important all the time, but that each member belongs to each other's. And when we think of the body, we've already said that we're talking about the body of Christ as in the people, not his, like, physical body. But that we belong to each other. And that, that's, I think, needs to be revolutionary to our faith. That when we think about what we're going to do in our faith this coming year and how we're going to follow God and prepare for the good and bad things that are coming this next year, it needs to be in the light of the fact that our relationship between us and God isn't just about us and God. It's about us collectively and God. 
And that needs and has to, I think, motivate how we live spiritually. Verses 6 and 8 just go on to lay out some of the gifts that God identifies. Um, Some of those things were serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing to the needs of others, giving generously, leadership, showing mercy. Um, And I know that, for me, I think that I am somewhat gifted in some of those things, but certainly not all of them. Um, but I know for you, I hope that as we were reading that and you've been thinking on it, you started to identify, yeah, I'm a pretty good encourager or pretty good at showing mercy. And when you identify those things that you are gifted in, you're able to use those things for the sake of the whole body, which is a really awesome thing. <clears throat> so that's kind of the bulk of what I want to share with you today. But I want to um, just go over these kind of challenges a little bit more for you. First, I hope that this week, that you can take some time and read over Romans 12 again and prayerfully read over it. And I know for um, I, a lot of people that before reading Scripture, it's a good idea just to pray and say, God, just reveal to me what I need to hear from this today and, and speak to my heart and take away my pride. And maybe that's what we need to pray as we read this this week. And if, so if you're willing to, take that challenge and read over it again or a couple times this week and think on that and start to think about what is it that... God's gifted me with, and how could I use that this year for the whole body, not just myself? And then, too, um, if last year, if you made a, a resolution or a commitment or whatever of how you would do something this year for the sake of the body, either re-up that or, or maybe come up with something new that you feel like God's calling you to this year. And finally, um, if you would, try and answer my initial question in the message today. And that is, this coming year, How will you live in a way that honors God? And how will you live in a way that based on the unknown year to come, that will help you to be right with God so you can lean on him in the good and the bad times? Um, Mike and Frank, if you guys want to come. Um, Today we get to take communion, which um, communion, also known as the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, but communion is when we as Christians remember what Jesus did for us and in giving his body and his blood. And when Jesus was dining with his disciples at the Last Supper, he took the body, I mean, he took the bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the wine and said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the Church of the Nazarene, we talk about communion as a means of grace. And what that means is it is a means that God imparts grace into our lives And so I think that communion is a perfect time to say, look, God, I know you are giving me undeserved grace, that your body and your blood is undeserved grace that you are giving me. I thank you for that. And as it says here, in view of God's mercy, in response to that grace, what are we going to do about that? And what are we going to commit to for this coming year? So today, as you take communion, I challenge you to, as you take communion, say, God, I don't deserve this grace, but in view of your mercy, I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice to you. Um, I know it's not a highly spiritual thing to comment on, but we do have some gluten-free communion bread. If that matters to you, um, just ask the person serving and they'll give that to you. So let's pray, and we'll receive the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us, and it teaches us how to follow you. Lord, we ask that as we receive your body and blood, that you would give us grace, Lord, this undeserved grace. 
and give us the courage and obedience to, in view of that mercy, Lord, to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come and receive.